Thank you very much, Shizu. I want you to pray for Shizu. He's another, and his wife, Lindsay, a fine young man of God who has the Spirit of the Lord upon him to minister the gospel. And if you have young people that you're aware of in 20 to 30 range, Friday nights, our forge ministry is, is growing, and God's using Shizu and Lindsay and the leaders to significantly touch lives. So be praying for them. All right, this morning I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 1. If you're visiting with us, we have plenty of extra Bibles. Our ushers will be glad to give you a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to keep it. In fact, we would love for you to keep the Bible, provided that you're going to read it or give it to somebody else who will read it. Had a chance to listen to Pastor John's message this week. It was a blessing, and I appreciate all the gifted teachers we have here. I was up in Maine preaching, had some significant opportunities to minister. I'll tell you one story at the end here. But if you are new to the church, we're going through the Gospel of John, and we want to invite you to join us on this journey through John to find this abundant life that Christ promised. Jesus said, I came that you might have life more abundantly. So we put an outline. It's available online. And what I want to encourage you to do is read a chapter at a time. Next week, we're going to go through chapter 2. But we said that the first four chapters of John are a, re, a warm reception of Jesus. And what I mean by that is, John 1 says this, when Jesus came into this world, he came to his own, and they didn't receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. So what John does is he, he outlines this book by saying, look, in the first four chapters, I'm going to show what it looked like when people received him. And we're going to see that. But when we get to chapters 5 through 12, we're going to see what happens when people opposed him and the opposition. And it helps us to wrestle with our own lives. Do I receive him? Will I stand with him and receive that same opposition? But this morning, we're going to look and see how the disciples, the, the original followers of Christ, received him. And imagine if you went into sales and your first day, you, you had booming numbers. You would be like, hey, this is a promising future. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it was very promising. People were very, very warmly receiving him. As time went on, he received a lot of opposition. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to see, as Pastor John mentioned, it was John the Baptist's job to simply introduce the Messiah. He was the last lens, remember, the optometrist. Here he is. So we're going to learn some things about Jesus in this passage, and then we're going to see that Jesus has some questions that he wants to ask us. So let's pray. Lord, speak to us through your word. I know the Holy Spirit is upon me, even as he was upon you to preach to the, to the poor, the needy, the prisoners, the captive, to, to preach you. And I need you, and we need you, and I pray that the Spirit of the Lord will manifest you, and that we will see you work in our lives for your glory. Thank you for the church, the beautiful body of Christ that you're forming from every tribe and people and nation. Sinners far and abroad, Lord, can be drawn near and brought into your family. We're so thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to begin with me in John chapter 1. We're going to look in verses 30 through 34, where the first thing that, that John's going to remind us about Christ is that he is the one, not only who was sacrificed for us, John showed us that last week, but he's the, the, the divinely anointed dispenser of the Holy Spirit, the divinely anointed dispenser of the Holy Spirit. As John mentioned last week, John Beagle will have three Johns, as he told us, John the Baptist, John the Apostle, and John the Beagle. So um, 
John Beagle mentioned that the Old Testament kept telling us what to expect from the Messiah. One of the things that the Old Testament said about the Messiah is that God was going to pour out the Spirit upon him. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, it says, I will raise up a root from Jesse, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Isaiah 42.1, this is my anointed, I have put my Spirit on him. In Isaiah 61, Jesus opened up the Scriptures, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And so we're going to find that Jesus receives the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a profoundness to this because Jesus is God, the Son, but yet he receives God, the Holy Spirit, to come and indwell him. And I just want to make a couple comments as, as we're about to look at this. When the Holy Spirit came to indwell Jesus, it wasn't because Jesus needed extra strength. He wasn't like the Energizer bunny going, I can't do this any longer. I need some new batteries. What he was doing is he was modeling for us because knowing that his followers are human, he was modeling for us how to live a life pleasing to God under the powerful influence of the Holy Spirit. We cannot live our lives for him apart from the enabling power of the Spirit. So when Jesus did what he did, he could have done miracles and he could have won victories simply in his own strength, but he chose to do them all in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he never did a miracle before the Holy Spirit came upon him. Acts chapter 10 says, God anointed him with the Spirit. Then he went around doing good and, and doing miracles. So Jesus received the Holy Spirit, divinely anointed, to show this is, I am the Messiah. But then the Old Testament predicted that God would dispense the Spirit upon his people in the last days, that God was going to do something different in the last days when Jesus came. The book of Joel says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And so Jesus becomes both the divinely anointed Messiah who will then dispense the Holy Spirit. And thank God he has done that. He has poured forth the Holy Spirit on this church and upon on every church that, that is a Bible-believing, Christ-centered church. And so let's look at how this develops because it's going to be important for us. If I'm going to have an abundant life with Christ, I need to know that I have received the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus. So start with me in verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John Beagle, if you didn't listen last week, listen to the, the messages and get caught up. You're only three messages behind if you haven't started. Verse 30. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And then John the Baptist gives a testimony. He goes, I didn't recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Now, this is really interesting. God pulls John the Baptist aside. He goes, you're going to be the guy who's going to introduce the Messiah. Now, get out there and start preaching and say, Messiah's here. I'm about to introduce you. And John the Baptist goes, who is he so I can introduce him? And God's going, you'll find that out at the right time. Well, wait, I got to introduce him. Listen, here's how you're going to find out, God said to him. As you're baptizing people, one of the people you baptize, when you dunk that fellow, when he comes up, the Holy Ghost is going to come down like a dove, and he's going to land on top of him. And when you see that happen, bingo, now you know this is Messiah. This is the Son of God. Now, that's profound to think about, right? John the Baptist knew Jesus. He was his cousin. He knew Jesus was more righteous than him. He's like, dude, you should baptize me. But he did not know at this point, that Jesus was the divine Son of God. It was when he baptized him. So as John the Baptist, or John the Beagle said last week, he was preaching better than he knew. 
he, he was just saying what God told him to say. But this is really interesting. So notice what he says. He says, I didn't recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing. And John said in verse 32, I beheld the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and remained upon him. And I didn't recognize him. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who does what? He baptizes in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the man who receives the divine anointing with the Spirit is the Messiah who will then dispense the Spirit. And John says in verse 34, when I saw that, I'm going to bear witness right now that this is the Son of God. So I'd like to call your attention to this particular thought about Christ. Jesus, the divine Messiah, was anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But thank God that as he was about to leave this world, and we're going to see so much more of this in John, that he said, listen, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send the Spirit upon you, and believe me when I tell you, this is a good thing. So I want to tell you this. If you're a Christian this morning, God has poured out the Spirit upon you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. There are many people who are teaching Christians that somehow way after you become a Christian, you have to pray and pray and pray and pray, and hopefully then you'll get baptized by the Holy Spirit and you'll speak in tongues. That's when you have the Spirit. I do not believe that that's what the Bible teaches, and you check it with me. Romans 8, verse 9. Write that down. Romans 8, verse 9. So if somebody says to you, are you a Christian? You say, yeah. And they go, did you receive the Spirit? You go, I said, yeah. Romans 8, verse 9 says this. If any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. What do you mean? When you give your life to Christ, you're saved. You now belong to him. You're bought with a price. If any man does not have the Spirit, he does not belong to him. So there is no such thing anymore as people who are born-again Christians but haven't received the Spirit. Don't worry about receiving the Spirit and speaking in tongues. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, not everyone speaks in tongues. So you go, well, how come I didn't feel nothing happened? When, when I believed in the Lord, I didn't get a quiver in my liver and shout hallelujah. The Bible doesn't say that you're going to have this fantastic emotional experience when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It says the Holy Spirit already came upon you. Now, some of you might not even realize that. You, you might not even understand the, pro, the, 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 you know, this is enormous. You, you, you've got all the power of heaven, the same power that raised Christ. You just haven't learned how the Holy Spirit's power is going to work through you. But trust me, I could preach all day to tell you all of the benefits of having the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you some real quick. Number one, you'll find satisfaction that you could never find in the world. Jesus said, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me. He said, because I'll give him living water and he'll never thirst. John says, this he spoke of the Spirit, because out of his being will flow rivers of living water. If you have Christ through the Spirit, you can find satisfaction. But you can also find strength to overcome your sin. As John said last week, our greatest problem is not our circumstances, it's our sinfulness. Galatians 5.16 says, if you learn to walk by the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. Because you have the Spirit within you, you now have gifts to serve Christ. God has poured out the Spirit upon us, and each of us has a gift that will enable us to serve Christ. Because I have the Spirit upon me, I can understand the Scriptures. The Spirit of God 
opens our eyes, the Bible says, so we can understand the Bible. The Spirit of God, because Jesus has poured forth His Spirit, that's why you understand and believe in Christ. That's why you can experience a relationship with Christ. Jesus said, when I send the Spirit, He won't speak of Himself, but He will speak of me. The Holy Spirit's like a great landscaping light, shedding light on Christ. The Holy Spirit's not going, focus on me. He's going, focus on Christ. And what a joy it is to have the Spirit of God drawing me and pointing me to Jesus. As I said, Time permitting, we could go on and on. But, but note that about Christ. Secondly, I want you to note this about Christ, that he searches us to see what we are seeking. So let's keep reading. Verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing in two of his disciples, and he looked upon Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now listen, that's a beautiful phrase. They heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want, peop- I want that to happen to me. They heard me speak, and they followed Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? Let me say something, Lord, that'll cause somebody else to follow Jesus with me. But notice, these two fellows start following Jesus, and Jesus turns around and says to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, uh, uh, where are you staying? He says, come, and you will see. And they came, therefore, and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him, that day, for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and follow him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, real quickly, I just want you to think about this. Jesus is God. He knows everything. Not only everything actual, even everything possible. There's nothing he doesn't know. But Jesus was fond of asking very penetrating questions. This is a profound question that every person needs to ask. If you have the slightest interest in Jesus, you must ask yourself, what do you want? What is it that, what do you seek? Struck me as I was studying to see that Jesus asked these, you know what he, you know what he said one time? In Luke chapter 18, this blind man said, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, Jesus. And everybody's going, shut up, man. And, and, and Jesus is not. Let me, let me see. Jesus walks up to the guy, he goes, John 8, or Luke 18, 4. What would you like me to do for you? Can you picture Jesus asking you and me that today? What what do you seek, Tom? What would you like me to do for you? And if that one doesn't flip your wig, how about this one? In John chapter 5, it says, there was a man who was paralyzed for over 40 years. 40 years of paralyzation and suffering and begging and needing to be taken care of. And Jesus walks up to the guy and he says, do you wish to get well? Did you just say that, Jesus? Do you wish to get well? But Jesus asked these penetrating questions because it helps us to probe and think about our own hearts. Son, do do you want to have a new life which will involve responsibilities, which will involve forsaking your treasured disabilities, and there will be new things that will happen in your life? And we learn from that story that Jesus said to the man later, go and sin no more so something worse doesn't happen to you. Jesus asks penetrating questions. And and as we close this morning, I want us to think about what he might be asking us. So Jesus is the the Savior who, who sends us the Spirit, who searches what we're seeking. But the third thing I want you to see about Jesus is Jesus is all about seeking to change us. Seeking to change us. 
Remember Billy Joel, I love you just the way you are? Jesus loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. So one of the profound things is, is, is Jesus has this transforming power to take you from what you used to be to what you're going to be. And that's a journey. I was sharing my testimony with my nephew yesterday, or Friday at a wedding. And I said, when I was about your age, I was selling drugs. And he goes, he's laughing. Oh, you're kidding, right? And I go, no, I'm not kidding. Look at this encounter in verse 39. He says, come and you'll see. They stayed there for and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. By the way, just a quick side note. You would like to be an Andrew. He's only mentioned three times in the New Testament. Every time he's mentioned, guess what he's doing? Bringing someone to Jesus. He brings his brother to Jesus. In John chapter 6, there's no food. He brings the little boy to Jesus with the food. And in John chapter 12, he's bringing the Greeks to Jesus. That'd be a nice thing to be remembered. That person's always bringing people to Jesus. Amen? But notice what he says to Peter. He says, verse 41, we found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Now, look at this. Jesus looked at him. He said, you are Simon. This is who you are right now, son. You're Simon, son of John. I got that. But you shall be called Cephas, which is an Aramaic word, which means a rock. Which tra- now, look here. Which translated means Peter. Now, I learned this this week. I didn't even know this. The Greek word Petros most of you may know it means rock. That wasn't a name. There was not a name back then. It wasn't like Peter was like, yo, I'm Rocky. Dun, dun, dun. He called me the rock. You know, I have a friend, he named his son Stone. I'm like, what if he's, kind of, what if he's not really like manly? Like, that's a gamble, you know? So, <laughs> so Peter wasn't going, he just called me Rocky. He, this, would have been, this would be like somebody saying, I'm going to call you Pole. You're like, Pole? That's not a name. But, but what Jesus is doing, he's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm going to change you to a man of depth and character. No, good thing you didn't tell him right now how that was going to happen. But what I want you to see is don't worry about who you are right now. Because the devil wants you to live your whole Christian life looking in the rearview mirror going, if only. Right? The Apostle Paul said, I got to get over that. I've learned how to forget what lies behind and move on. So whatever's happened in your past up till today, you can't go back and get a redo. But what you can do is you can come to Jesus and present yourself and say, Lord, make me who you want to be. He doesn't need ability, just availability. And what a glorious story. We always mock Peter, the, the fumbling, big mouth, coward, right? But keep reading, get to the book of Acts. And when the Holy Spirit fell upon this man, God used him greatly. In all of his stumbling and suffering, God used him greatly. And I got good news for you. God wants to use you greatly. Every one of us who who is a born-again believer, God has good works prepared beforehand. The devil wants you to believe that you're worthless and useless, and it's too late. And Jesus is going, no, no, this is who you are. That's not who you're going to be, right? So, So just trust him that because he lives in you, You're not who you ought to be, but you're also not who you're going to be. 
And so maybe some of you have been resisting Jesus, and he's going, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. If you're a Christian, the Bible says, he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. Don't be like a mule, the Bible says. Don't make God drag you kicking and screaming, because if you're a Christian and you're fighting against him, how's that going? Yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to Jesus. Seek him, and you will find that he has some amazing things that he wants to do with you. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 43 says, The next day he purposed to go forth into Galilee, and he found Philip. And he said to him, Follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. I like this. Philip found Nathanael and says, We found him of whom the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now, if you, if you know what the Bible is about, you know that Nazareth was the despised town. Now, I feel your pain. I'm from there. I'm from New Jersey, right? But I can tell you, all over this country, people make fun of New Jersey. And if you don't believe me, I lived in Dallas, Texas for about four years, seven years down there. I was at a play, Annie, right? At the end of the play, they put a curse on Daddy Warbucks. They said, you're going to have to spend the rest of your life in Deptford, New Jersey on a pig farm. And I, I wanted to stand up and go, I used to live in Deptford, New Jersey. Stop it, right? They just mocked Deptford, New Jersey. Nazareth was a place that was despised. And Nathaniel goes, no, he, can't, he can't come from there. But notice now, it says, Nathaniel said to him, how, how do you know me? Jesus looked at him and he said, he's an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Now, if, if, if Nathaniel was from New Jersey now, he said, you talking to me? You don't know me. And Jesus is like, no, I do know you. And I like what he said about him. He said, this guy has no guile in him. Now, I understand what he means by that. He's not saying he's sinless. He's saying he's sincere. And if you're sincere, Jesus could work with that. But if you're secret and scandalous and trying to live a double life, there's no hope for you until you repent of that. But look what, look what Jesus says to Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? He says, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And you're like, okay, yeah, I saw you on the fig tree. Verse 49. Look at Nathaniel's response. His doors are blown off. His pinball's on tilt. He goes, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And you're going, whoa, dial it back, Nathaniel. What, what, what's, what just happened? That'd be like if, if, you, if somebody came today and introduced their friend to me. Say, hey, this is Pastor Tom. And I said, Hey, I, I saw you yesterday in Marshalls. You wouldn't go, he's God. He saw me in Marshalls. He's divine, right? So there must be a backstory here. And I'd like to suggest that probably Nathaniel was under that fig tree praying and thinking about the Messiah. It's interesting in the Old Testament. They pictured the messianic kingdom age when God would come back, it says, and every man will sit under his fig tree. And so, so maybe this is what rocked his world is that Nathaniel's praying, oh God, who is the Messiah? And they said, hey, it's right here. And he goes, ah, he can't be the one. And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. You are the son of God. Now I'll throw another one out there. Jews love to meditate on the Old Testament, think about God's wondrous deeds. What if Nathaniel not only was praying, but he was thinking about Jacob's ladder? 
Genesis chapter 28. Great story if you've never read it. Jacob goes out into the wilderness, and he's fleeing from his brother, and it says, and, and he laid down to sleep, and he took a river stone. I'll, I'll throw that in. It was a stone. He put a stone, and he slept upon a stone, right? And while he was sleeping, he had this vision, this dream, and he saw a ladder with angels of God ascending and descending upon it. And he wakes up, and he goes, this is none other than the house of God. This, this, is, this is Bethel, right? You say, all right, all right, Tom, I'll grant you that maybe he was praying who was the Messiah. But where do you get that Jacob and ladder stuff? Well, look, look at Jesus' response to him. He says, in verse 50, because I said to you that I saw you on the fig tree, do you, you believe in me just for that? He goes, you're going to see greater things than these. And listen, I got some, if, if you're discouraged this morning, if you're a Christian, mark that down. I promise you, you're going to see greater things in your life. You're going to see greater things. And you're like, you can't promise that, Pastor Tom. What if I walk out here and get run over? If you're a Christian, you're going to see greater things. <laughs> I assure you, either now or then, you're going to see greater things. But I personally believe that when you yield yourself to Jesus more and more, you're going to see greater things in this life. Because that's what Jesus is all about. But notice what he says to Nathaniel. He says, he says, that's the only reason you believe. He says, truly I say to you, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. And I'm going, why did he say that? Why, who cares about angels of God descending and descending? We already know that story, Jacob's ladder. But if you keep reading, Jesus moved the ladder. He goes, you're going to see angels of God ascending and descending upon, he might as well just said, me. What in the world does that mean? We are climbing Jacob's ladder. No, we're not. Jacob's ladder was just pointing us to Christ. Because now Jesus is saying, look, if you want to climb the ladder to heaven, it's me. If you want to find God, it ain't going to be through Buddha. It ain't going to be through Muhammad. It ain't going to be through being a Methobacterian. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God but through me. It's me. Wow. Jesus is not only the, the one who dispenses and sends his spirit. He searches what we're seeking. He seeks to change us. But he's, unlike Led Zeppelin, sang in their group, he's the stairway to heaven. He's the one that brings me to God. And you know what? You don't have to wait to go to heaven to find that out. Every day that you are a Christian, you have access to God through him. So climb up on his back and walk into the Father's presence. Say, Lord, in Jesus' beautiful name, I need you, God. Well, we're just about out of time. So, so I want to close with a couple questions this morning. Number one, I want to ask you this. I'm assuming that if you're here this morning, there must be something that you're seeking from Jesus. I'll throw one, one caveat there. If you're a kid, it's like, my parents made me come here. But assume, or I actually could throw out a couple caveats. Maybe your girlfriend brought you. Maybe your, but, but listen, the fact that you're here this morning, ask yourself, what are you seeking from Jesus? Now, let me start if you're not a Christian. If you have any interest in Jesus, the reason you're seeking from Jesus is because he's seeking for you. I ran into a, a young man that I've been praying for for quite some time, and I saw him Friday night at the wedding. He goes, 
thanks for that book you gave me. I read it. And he goes, I don't know what happened. But he goes, I feel like I'm just being drawn to, to the Lord. And I go, you are. But even as a Christian, picture Jesus saying, what, what, what would you like me to do for you? That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because I can tell you this. I can't help you like Jesus can. Your pastor can't help you. Your psychiatrist can't help you. Your friends can't help you. Your family can't help you. Your church can't help you like Jesus can. None of those things are bad. But do you need comfort? What would you like me to do for you? You think Jesus is going to throw you under the bus? Nope, I'm all out of comfort. He's the God of all comfort. Do you need peace? How many times did Jesus say, my peace I give to you? Do you need strength? I can't go on. Draw near to his throne of grace, and he will dispense grace to help you. Do you need wisdom? Like, Lord, I do not know what to do. Jesus is wisdom. Do you need financial assistance? Jesus is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide for you. Do you need a touch of his healing for your troubled mind, for your depression, your anxiety, your fears? Do you need him to physically lay his hands on you and heal you from some illness. What do you seek? But, but when, when you think about that, ask yourself, have you really been seeking or just doing a lot of speaking? This is not seeking Jesus on your way out the door with peanut butter on your face going... Thanks for this day, Jesus. Please help me because I'm really messed up. That's not seeking Jesus. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are your pant legs getting worn on your knees? Are your lips parched? Are your tears streaming down your face? If you say, Pastor, I have been seeking Jesus, then I can assure you this. He has heard your cry. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He has heard your cry. Wait. Be strong and of good courage. Wait. Heaven's help is on the way. But a second question is when Jesus looked at Nathanael, he said, you're an Israelite. There's no guile in you. When he looked at Peter, he said, you're going to be a rock. But what would he say about you today? I know what he would say to you. He would say, I love you. And I have nothing but good for you. But he might say, mm, I can't say you're seeking me sincerely. There's some things that need to go. And you and I know it. And then lastly, do you see this chain reaction? He brought him to Jesus, then he brought him to Jesus, and then he brought him to Jesus. Who is it that God might be wanting you to bring to Jesus? Well, if you're a parent, you're like, my kids! My friends, my neighbors. This week while I was up in Maine, 
on Monday morning, I spent the morning, I read through the whole Gospel of John, spent time in prayer. This isn't a test of phony to brag, but the reason I'm telling you this is because I really wanted to go fishing. But I felt, you know what, the fish aren't biting anyway. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. So I had this great time with the Lord, and I always try to ask the Lord, Lord, lead me to somebody looking for you. So in the afternoon, I said, well, you know what, I'm going to try fishing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I always tell you the stories when I do good, but trust me, I don't always do it that way. <laughs> Seek you first, King God. So I go in the fishing store. I said to the lady who runs a fly shop, I said, Penny, where are the fish? I can't catch any fish. She says, they're just not biting. She says, besides, you're the man of God, the pastor. You should be able to find them. <laughs> and this young man, about 20, 25, he says to me, I know where the fish are. They're biting like crazy. I said, where are they biting? He said, about two hours from here, in the mountains. He says, I'm a ranger. And I work up there, and I was killing them. I'm catching them on flies. I said, when are you going there? He goes, right now. I said, do you know Matt LaRoche? He goes, yeah. He's my boss. I said, he's an elder in the church where I preach. I said, mind if I follow you? He said, come on. So I followed him two hours into the woods. Then we walk a mile down into this thing. And I'll just get this out of the way. Yes, we caught fish. Plenty. But that's not the story. So, oh, God bless me, fish. No, here's the story. So while we're walking, I said to him, you must get a lot of time to think because you live out in the woods nine days at a time as a ranger. He says, yeah, I think. I said, do you think about God? He said, yeah, I do. I believe in him. So we fished away. On the way out, we're walking back. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, I don't like to push religion on people, but I'd sure like to talk to you about the Lord. But I don't want you to feel, if you don't want to talk, he goes, I'm an open book. So I began to ask him, why do you think God will let you into heaven? He says, oh, I try to do good. No, that's not it. And I began to just point him to Jesus and point him to the cross, the Lamb of God. And the Holy Ghost is open in his eyes, and he's getting it, and he's getting it. And I said, so what do you need to do? He said, I need to, I need to, to receive and trust in Christ. I said, do you want to do that? And he says, yeah. I said, but before you do that, I said, I'm going to tell you this. There's a whole lot of people that don't want to do this. In fact, most of your friends, when you tell them or your family, they're not going to want to do this. Can you think why? He says, well, maybe they don't think they're too sinful. Good answer. He said, maybe they think they are too sinful. Good answer. He said, maybe they think they're ashamed of what others will think of them. Good answer. And I said, I'll give you another one. Some of them just don't want to stop sinning. Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Some people are like, Jesus, Jesus, why would I want him to change my life? But I said, what about you? And he said, I want to accept the Lord. And he did. He did. And then he emailed me the next morning because he has an email at his little ranger station. No phone, no, nothing but email. He says, thank you so much for what you taught me. So he's still up there in the woods, so I want you to pray for him. Pray that the Lord, I said, get online and start listening to the gospel of John as we study it together. But pray for him. But, but I don't tell that to go, oh, wow, you know, I'm the holy man. I tell that because it's just Jesus using people like you and me to bring others to Jesus. I said to him, you know what? I said, I believe God wanted us to meet for two reasons today. He said, what's that? I said, so I could bring you to Jesus and you could bring me to the trout. And we praise the Lord. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he is the answer. He's what we need. He's more than what we need. 
and help us to seek him this week and find everything we need in Christ. Lord, you know our sufferings, our sorrows, and our struggles. And we as a church pray for you to meet all of our needs. Change us into what you want us to be. Change this church into the church that you want it to be. And Lord, we thank you and we give you praise and glory. And I pray that each person will feel the power of the Spirit in them who is a believer. And they will go forth this week saying, Lord, use me to bring someone to Jesus. In all of our struggles, Lord, forgive us. In all of our weaknesses and our frailties, would you use us to bring others to Jesus? Bring our children, bring our friends, even bring our enemies. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll be in John chapter 2 next week.